From socialservice.sg, I'm Jing Yao. As a strategic foresight practitioner, Cheryl Chong has led futures projects across different government ministries, within a public policy school, and in a number of community projects and initiatives. With our experience and expertise, we explore the application of futures and foresight in public policy, the public sector, and the community in Singapore. Cheryl is Program Director of Executive Education at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy in the National University of Singapore. Cheryl, you've identified yourself as a strategic foresight practitioner. So how should we understand futures and foresight, perhaps in the context of the public sector? Great. Hi, thanks so much and thanks for having me. I think for thinking about futures in the public sector, you know, I think it comes down to the question, is thinking about the future and preparing for the future a core aspect of good governance? And is it important for the state to play this kind of stewardship role? Does it have a responsibility to the next generation? And I think if your answer to all those questions is yes, then futures thinking in the public sector is an important component. So we can think of futures thinking as, of course, a set of tools and methodology to help us, you know, in a more systematic way, think about disruptions, how we might cope with them. And that's kind of, I suppose, the more process-related mm. aspects. But I think more broadly, it's really this idea of developing some sort of anticipatory capacity within governments to be able to cope <laughs> with disruptions of the future. And I think, of course, COVID has been one real big example of how disruptions can really end our lives and, uh, you know, and cause a lot of challenges right, mm. uh, for the state. And because you've led futures projects across different government ministries and you've been involved in a number of community projects initiatives, I want to focus the conversation on those two areas, right? And I kind of like the term you use, which is anticipatory capacity. So we'll talk a little bit about that and maybe with the public sector first. So you and your team train a very wide range of practitioners across Asia and beyond. So generally speaking, it's kind of repetitive, but in that context, again, what is the importance of futures thinking in public policy or in terms of educating and teaching public policy? Mm, understand. So maybe it's just a little bit of context. So I, I currently lead the Executive Education Singapore Futures mm. Unit within the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Because we are executive education, we focus very much on training, capacity building uh, for government practitioners, and of course, consulting work as well. And uh, one of the things that we've seen is really this desire to build up this, uh, a skill set to help Again, anticipate, you know, yeah. kind of future issues. So one very common experience of a public policy person is that, frankly, you spend a lot of time firefighting. Public policy work is so complex that, you know, there are tons of stakeholders to manage, you know, everybody's got competing ideas, they've got contradictory views about, you know, what the solutions could be. So you spend a lot of time on that, that edge. And sometimes there's this feeling that, oh my goodness, if only we could <laughs> anticipate the problems, you know, five years ahead, if we had a bit more time, to think about these things, then we wouldn't be in this constant hamster wheel of, 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 of firefighting, right? So it's, it's basically this core mm -hmm. that we're trying to think about. You know, when we, in public policy schools, we talk a lot about new public management, right? And this idea of like managing governments in a more efficient way to manage them like corporates. And definitely there is a lot of gains, you know, to optimizing the business of government in that way. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the government has a particular responsibility towards resilience, you know, of a country, of society. 
which means that not every decision can be a hyper-optimized, hyper-efficient one, right? There is also a discipline within how the government needs to conduct its business um, to set aside this time of also, again, anticipating, right? You know, to trying to understand, you know, the, the much larger contextual environment around it, you know, and to, to really try to figure out, okay, you know, what, can we solve longer term problems? Yeah. You know, because there's a, there are a lot of things which, there are problems that don't occur overnight, right? You know, they are slow burn, you know, and then suddenly they become a huge issue. But by the same thinking, you know, there's some problems that we cannot solve within one year. We might actually need an investment of one generation, mm -hmm. right? So education is a good example of that. You know, so, so it's like, you can't just turn it around in a year, you know, but if you gave me 30 years, if you gave me 20 years, actually, there's a lot that we can do. You know, so it's also thinking, it's trying to reframe, right, the way that we think about government solutions. Yeah, and I kind of like the the metaphor of firefighting, right? I mean, and then especially in the context we're talking about right now with with the pandemic itself, a lot of the response is not something that you can necessarily anticipate. I mean, folks will point to the fact that some experts and practitioners have said we could have seen the pandemic coming from some from some distance away, but a lot of the reaction from around the world has been pretty much firefighting in that sense. So given the disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, to what extent has that promoted or upended futures and foresight in the public sector? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I mean, to be honest, we, I mean, we've done training for so many years, right? And previously we used to have to explain to people that actually disruptions are possible and they can be catastrophic in some ways, but also present a very tremendous opportunity, right? So, so it's also a way of, of kind of thinking about these disruptions. Right now, the conversation, at least in the future space, has shifted very much to the so what now, what kind of questions. So it's like, uh, now that we know what we know uh, and we know how disruptive the future can be, what does it mean for our preparedness, right? And how can we start to think a little bit about, uh, firstly, creating the future that we do want, you know, and then secondly, of course, being prepared for uh, or risk mitigate the futures that we don't want, right? And I think that this is a really important uh, point to note because, of course, the example of COVID shows us a disruption that is more event-based, it's very acute. Uh, but a lot of disruptions, especially in the public service, are caused by these intractable, slow-burn kind of problems, you know, inequality issues or, or, or other kind of more structural issues. So these things don't happen overnight, right? And I think that there's a responsibility in the public sector to also think, you know, about how these issues might shape and change over time, you know, because with a short amount of runway, there is a limited uh, ability to, to provide good solutions, right? So, uh, but actually, if you look at it from a, a 10-year, 20-year time frame, like if you had a 10-year head start to work on inequality issues, for example, there's a lot of things that you can do, you know, and I think that that's one, one mindset shift in the public sector that I really hope, you know, this, this uh, pandemic will, will help us to, to, to kind of adopt, right? Because, you know, it's really this idea of preparedness, right? What can we do, you know, not just solving today's problems, right? But, but can we set aside as an organizational discipline a little bit of bandwidth, resources, time, manpower to invest, you know, into creating these solutions for the future. It's interesting because when you're talking about the different scenarios, the futures that we want and the futures we don't want, you know, in our previous conversations, you were talking about this notion of multiple possibilities and it's something that, you know, Adrian within this previous recording talked about as well in terms of preparing for across different runways, uh, runways of different lengths of, like, lengths of time, these different possibilities. And I guess 
in a more kind of selfish mindset, as someone who did his public policy degree in the LKY school, how does futures and foresight feature within the school, especially within the domain of executive education, maybe even beyond that domain as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting and we're definitely in a very interesting season. As I started my remarks, I mean, personally, I do believe that a form of futures thinking is important for good governance, right? And the ability to have this anticipatory capacity is actually a core part of this, I would say, multi-generation, future generation responsibility and stewardship that governments need to have. So it's uh, so coming back to the school, as I mentioned, I'm in charge of the executive education, Singapore Futures. And over the last uh, few years that I've been in charge of uh, these executive education programs, we've seen uh, the demand for futures work grow tremendously, especially within the region, but not, not limited to. Of course, Singapore, uh, the Singapore government has a grand tradition in doing foresight work and specifically in scenario planning. You know, so we do have uh, certain perspectives to share. Um, but of course, the way that we do it in Singapore is also quite unique to our own governance context. So for the school, we've definitely been trying to ramp up this work in the executive education space, which means that it's focused very much on practitioners and current serving government officials, right? So, so they, they have their day job, they, you know, they come here for futures training. Uh, we also do consulting uh, projects uh, for government. So, so that's the kind of manifestation of the work at this point. Uh, where we're hoping to go, and uh, this is something that, especially for this year, we've been investing a lot in, is really the idea of a more community and you know, kind of a more diverse engagement in terms of futures work. Um, because of course, you can think of it as a practice and skill uh, within public service, but I think there is also a larger question around you know, what's the conversation across public services, yeah. like a community of practice, but also across society, right? Mm -hmm. And is futures literacy and futures capabilities also something important to build in society? And I think universities in particular, you know, as a stewards of knowledge, right, yeah. has have a, have a very unique role to play in that, in that space. So we've recently launched a Futures Forward webinar, which we've been inviting various friends from different public services around the world or who work with public services around the world in future specifically. And we focus very much on Asia and what, what you know, these different expressions, you know, of how futures practice is done in uh, governments, you know, you know how, how, that's, how that's conducted. And as I said, you know, Singapore has a very unique governance context and there's a lot that we can learn by just exchanging these ideas amongst uh, community of practice. <laughs> That's a really neat segue because I mentioned the first part was talking about your work in the public sector and then the second part was about your work in the community and you speak, you spoke very eloquently to the importance of futures literacy and futures thinking in the community and the society. So maybe I want to spend the second half the, of our chat talking about that work in the community with, within which you have had a lot of experience and expertise. So maybe first to start us off, tell us a bit more about the projects in which you've been involved in or you are currently involved in. Yeah, I think one project that I would love to talk about is uh, inequality work that we've been doing uh, with our graduate students here at the Lee Kuan Yew School. I, I started out doing this thing partly as a, as a response to a talk I'd given on how we think about futures and the limitations of futures in some way. So the, the premise of the talk was to say that change involves not only opportunity, but also can involve loss, right? And in public policy school, one of the things that we talk about a lot is who are the winners and losers from public policy. And I think you can have a very similar conversation about who are the winners and losers in the future and in terms of future change, right? 
So the inequality walk is framed around a specific area in Singapore. For those of you who are familiar with Singapore geography, it's along the Singapore River. We start out at Robertson Quay, which is a very high income area. And then we cross over basically one street and move into Jalan Kupo, uh, which is a relatively low income area. Mm. You know, and uh, in this very short experience, you know, we try to have a conversation around what does it mean to be left behind by future plans, right? And what does it mean to, you know, be, to find yourself, you know, in, in maybe uh, that the future was, is, is, a, is a future that you cannot attain, actually, you know, and, and who are the ones who own the future, right? And who are the ones that, that have an have a ability to, to decide, advocate, create this future for them? So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's been a very interesting and very rewarding a part of our curriculum. So we, we normally do this during orientation, you know, and it's, it's really just to open up a con- set of conversations. To be honest, I don't have good answers, you know, and the issues are very complex. Mm-hmm. But I think in doing, in, in putting uh, that lens, right, because everybody's going to go on to to think about, oh, how do we make change? How do we, you know, we want to be change makers for the future. And we've got these big ambitious plans um, and all that's great, you know, but I think there's another conversation to also to have be sensitive about actually who are the plans for, who benefits from the plans and who does not benefit from the plans and who are the ones who are left outside, you know, this, this vision for the future. So I think that that's been something that personally has been very, very rewarding, at least in the context of, of the work that I do at the school. One thing I'm realizing, and I mentioned to this at the start of, before we started recording as to why we do the series, the mini-series on the futures that I'm thinking is starting to appreciate the strengths of it. I think one of the things that I'm noticing is that the ability or rather being trained to ask questions. So the question that you had, you had was, who has a stake in the future? Who gets to decide who shapes the future? This is something that comes up over and over again. And the example of the inequality walk brings to mind because when you talked about the, the metaphor of the winners and losers, it's something that I think American uh, philosopher Michael Sandel talked about in, in his new book about about the tyranny of merit, right? The idea that there are in a meritocratic society, there are winners and losers and that shapes our perceptions. So maybe using, sticking to the example, you've communicated how you use futures and foresight in those projects, but what are some of the challenges in trying to bring about, for instance, the inequality work and trying to communicate futures and foresight through that activity or endeavor? I think going back to this idea of merit and meritocracy, one challenge is, of course, when merit is very narrowly defined, right? So uh, conceptually, you may not have a problem with meritocracy as a concept, but actually if, if its application and execution is within a very narrow constraint, then you know, the people who are left out of that definition of merit becomes quite, quite uh, huge, right? In many cases, there is a, especially for when it comes to futures planning and futures thinking, we want to believe that we live in an engineering system right? where we can press a yeah, button, you know, and, and some, you know, miraculously, all these things kind of resolve themselves neatly. And I think having led maybe, you know, definitely a couple of tens of these walks, right? You know, maybe even a hundred of these walks, it, there is a conversation around like, you know, people want uh, inequality and, and kind of these messy conversations to resolve in a nice box and you can tie a ribbon at the end and say, you know, congratulations, good civil servants, we've all done our job, right? And the reality of, of working in the public sector is that many times you can only make better choices, right? They are not always perfect choices. In fact, mm-hmm. most of the time, there will not be perfect choices, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's a constant shaping and reshaping and, and having this meta conversation in mind 
it's a very organic in, in that way type of work, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's also the challenge, right? That, that at the end of the, the the inequality walk, you know, people be like, oh yeah, we should do this. We should A, do A, do B, do C. I say, yeah, sure. You know, do you not think that we've tried some version of A, B, and C, right? But what are the unintended consequences from that? You know, what are the, the challenges that that then, you know, kind of causes? And again, then you have to have another set of problems to solve, right? You know, and I think embracing this messy reality is difficult, but I hope it's, it's also one part of the of a future-oriented skill set that I hope public servants can also adopt, right? Is the reality that there is maybe no instrumentalist type solution. Maybe the best thing we can do for each other is to keep the conversations going and to continue to ask maybe a little bit uncomfortable questions. Yeah. And I do hope to see futures thinking as a little bit more of, uh, and futures tools in general, uh, as, as being able to scaffold and protect a safe space for these kinds of conversations to exist, right? You know, because there is, uh, hopefully we have more consensus around, you know, the kind, what we like the future to look like, you know, and that's a more exploratory and hopefully creative space, right? You know, rather than the, the highly contested present, you know, so I do hope that, that that's also a gift uh, that futures can, can give to the public sector. Yeah, and I think you're helping us appreciate two points, at least uh, for me. Number one would be in terms of thinking about the solutions, right? It's not just looking at right now. And you alluded to this in the in the in the previous response about looking at in the five, 10, 15, 20 year period um, will be interesting and would be useful and not just looking at complementing immediate fixes, but also looking at what the long-term more structural fixes that we might need. I think the second one, which probably leads to my final question is who is at the table, right? So in having these messy, complex conversations about the future or the future or futures, uh, we want to involve more folks. And I think one of the questions I had when I was drafting this was thinking about how do we address perceptions that futures thinking and future studies are limited to quote unquote the elites, right? This idea that within the public policy space, uh, within policymakers, how do we then increase uh, mass participation and adoption of, of these forms of thinking so that who gets a seat at the table that's not just are uh, not just you know the elites and and, and the um, public policy graduates, but also folks who might have an, Im- an immediate stake in, in these issues. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, you know, because I think in terms of democratizing futures tools, there are two things I hope to see democratized, right? So one is a better knowledge about future issues. Uh, I think for most of us, 90, 95% of our bandwidth is captured by what's happening today and here and now. But you know, how can we increase that bandwidth, even, even ever so slightly, right? To invest in, in thinking about the future and to consider what these multiple possibilities might be. Um, you know, so there's a there's there's a fundamental part about you know understanding different trends, about understanding, you know how these trends might impact us, uh, which is uh, important in future's work. And then the other side would be to democratize the way of thinking, right? So in many many introductions to our futures classes, one of the things I always say is that you can think of it in the most fundamental level as futures thinking is thinking about thinking. It's to be transparent about your assumptions, Mm -hmm. to be transparent about your worldview, and by doing so to have a better understanding of what collectively our blind spots um, might be, right? Which I think no one group, however intelligent and exposed they are, no one group has a monopoly on good ideas. 
right? So I feel like if by doing those two things, then we can shift the power dynamics a little bit about, about who gets to shape the future. Because, you know, we always talk about history as being written by the winners, right? But future can also be written by the winners. You know, and what's the implication of that? Especially when you're talking about more community work, more whole of society kind of work. You know, do we have space to consider these diversities, you know, different points of view and be a little bit more inclusive in the way that we have some of these conversations, right? Because I, I think that, again, you know, democratizing futures work very much comes down to also providing this platform, right? Where different voices can be, uh, firstly, are actively sought out <laughs> and, and can be heard and, and can be valued, right? Uh, for their, their diversity of perspectives, right? Um, and I do think that that's something that's that's important to our work, definitely at the Lee Kuan Yew School, and, and something that we've been uh, trying to focus our conversations, especially going forward. So we've been doing a lot of youth work, which has been really, really interesting. And maybe this is a this is a good little story to close off the remarks of the question. But so in, in the end of 2019, as part of our inaugural Festival of Ideas, we conducted a Future of Mars workshop and we invited 75 young people from all across Asia to come to the Lee Kuan Yew School and participate in a future, a three-day futures workshop that uh, was tried to teach them a little bit about futures work, but also a little bit about the governance and public policy. And uh, one of the winning presentations so it was around how we might have ended up uh, going to Mars, right? And then mm -hmm. the premise of the whole workshop was to say, you know, we what are public services going to look like in Mars? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so, so this group said, okay, how do we end up going there? So this is November 2019. And the scene is that there is a young student who is covered in sticky dots lying on the floor, right? Which is funny enough. And uh, his story is that he has some sort of flu. <laughs> there is some sort of global pandemic mm -hmm. flu that's going on. Oh. And then there is a, because of this global pandemic flu, there is a mass vaccination program. Uh -huh. And because of this mass vaccination program, they realized a few years later that actually it turned out to be a population control measure, which led to the rise of a new political party that led the charge to colonize Mars. And that was something, you know, that, that this group of students kind of imagined. Out. And of course, you know, they presented in a very funny way. And in yeah. November 2019, it's all very abstract and very funny, lah, you know. <laughs> uh, but within three months, <laughs> when yeah. I find myself trying to buy masks in the supermarket, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not so funny, right? And, yeah. and, and I think to me, what that really highlighted was we put in a lot of effort for that particular workshop to in include a diversity of students from all education backgrounds, and, you know, just, just to bring in, you know, this, this group and to say that no matter where you come from, we will help you with a, with a couple of tools just to send you on your way, right? And even with that little bit of scaffolding, you know, actually the, the, the ideas and the creativity and the imagination of this group of students probably exceeded many government officials at exactly. the time, right? Yeah. And I think that that's probably a good point to leave it off, right, is that that it's not the way that we think about the future and the way we think about good governance in the future is not only about it's not doesn't only come down to our technocratic solutions right it also comes down to our creativity and imagination about what these possible futures might look like mm -hmm. you know and does that unlock a new set of possibilities and solutions for us right different policy options for the future and i and i i hope that this field of work can at least contribute to the discussion in that way 
No, I think we know when we started off, before we started off the conversation, we were talking about, you know, how futures thinking can be helpful. And I'm coming to this as an amateur and listening to you over the last half an hour, covering, you know, talking about building and disparate capacity about multiple possibilities. I think the final one, strikes me the, 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 the has, has the greatest resonance in terms of using that no one group has a monopoly on good ideas, which is this notion that uh, it's the work to democratize and diversify futures thinking in Singapore and beyond, which I think will be, which I hope will happen, you know, and, and, and take root in the future. So thank you very much. And, and, and hopefully these forms of conversations will continue as well in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I do, I do think that our ability to imagine and create our future is really so key to building the kind of country societies you know that we want and i think that that everybody has a responsibility and ownership for that thank you very much again thank you great 